0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Steven Robles. And today we're gonna talk about the iPhone 14 Plus. Initial reviews are out. Some more thoughts about Apple Watch Ultra. The Wall Street Journal tested crash detection in depth. So I wanna talk about that in the iPhone 14 and Apple Watch. And maybe we'll get to the Pixel 7 as well. This episode is brought to you by Magic Lasso Adblock and Collide. And joining me, my friend, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes?
1: I'm fine Steven, uh just busy day. Like you said, Pixel stuff got announced today, so that's interesting. Yeah. My mind is racing about photography, so maybe <laughs> we'll get to it.
0: I definitely want to talk about it. I know this is the Apple Insider podcast, but we talk about Apple's competitors and the the Pixel 7 stuff is pretty interesting.
1: It's interesting to see how each company makes different decisions with the same technology.
0: Yes. And also, I was looking I watched the event live. As we record, Google just did their Google pixel seven seven pro pixel watch event and pixel tablet so i, I watched it all and anyway we'll get to that the yes there was an rcs dig in case you're wondering of course google has to mention that you know i think they're contractually obligated <laughs> by the rcs committee but we'll get to that later in the show want to throw out some five star review shout outs eddie frizz from great britain nick d312 from the usa AceNet AA from usa robbie vengeance And he had a question about the uh, wallpaper, about the Apple Insider artwork. That is actually from a basic Apple guy. He had some SF symbols wallpapers a while ago. And so I'll put a link in show notes to those wallpapers if you'd like that. And Bold Lucky from Norway. Take a picture of the Northern Lights for us. We'd love to see that.
1: The m- more updated uh, wallpaper, if you saw it in the iPhone review and stuff. Yes. Yeah, that image, it's available. I don't have it pinned or anything, but it's in my Twitter if you go look for it. Um, it's it's one of those things that kind of just floated by. If you're interested, you could grab it. But uh, that's that's going to be a, like a once-off from basic Apple guy, because uh, he's working on one with the larger symbols for wallpapers, but uh, it's not going to have the AI logo in it. So there you go.
0: Right, right. There you go. Right, I want to do some follow-up real quick from past episodes and questions I saw on social media. I actually saw a question on TikTok and I do not know the answer to this. So I'm throwing it out to our listeners. Maybe if you know Wes, but some <laughs> somebody commented on one of my TikToks and they asked, how to extend the phone call time limit past eight hours. Now, I I never desire to talk on the phone this much, but apparently he is talking for eight hours on the phone with his spouse. And after eight hours, I guess the iPhone just cuts off. I mean, it's not a battery issue. It's not anything like that, but he says it just cuts off after eight hours. I did some searching and I could not find if there was any kind of maximum call time limit on iPhone. And so I don't know if there's any listeners out there that have ever run into that, or if there's someone from Apple, I don't know, but I've never run into that issue. Have you ever heard of that, Wes?
1: Well- I don't really do this, but I know this is a very teenage, young adult thing to do where people (laughs) like to fall asleep on the phone with each other and Mm -hmm. then the phone just stays on all night. Well, eventually it's going to cut off. I I believe, yeah, if this is a FaceTime audio call that you're describing, it's probably a limitation by voiceover uh, IP protocol. Not really anything Apple's doing, but again, when or how or why would you ever need this? Uh, Probably not a real issue here.
0: Yeah, I think it's a limited use case, but uh, it's out there, apparently. Another piece a follow-up i talked about apple care plus on the last episode and kind of the choice of do i pay for two years up front or do i pay monthly and then be able to extend it and two people reached out Braden newell on twitter and tim from the ipad pros podcast they reminded me that if you buy two years of apple care Plus, when you first buy a device, when you get to the end of the two-year time, you can apparently switch over to monthly payments. Now, I have not done that successfully, but I had heard that that was something you could do. It's like leasing a car. Yeah. And so if you want to, you know, if it's a device you're keeping for a while, maybe you got an iPad Pro, you paid for two years. I just looked. My iPad Pro, it's going to come up on the two-year mark in May. If no iPad Pros come out before then, it won't matter. But if the Apple AppleCare Plus ends in May, apparently I could switch to a monthly Apple. Care Plus plan and just keep having a protection on my device. I don't know if there's a limit on that, but it is an option to transition to a monthly. So thanks for that tip. Also, I had a number of people reach out about the Jackery stuff, and Chris Rousey, he had a detailed tweet. And he said he has the Jackery, it's an external battery. It's the Jackery 1000, and he says it works really well. It can charge a portable slash freezer for 60 plus hours or can run it uh, holding it at 25 degrees Fahrenheit. And so, Jackery stuff. Seems to be really popular when you need big battery stuff, you know, storm or hurricane protection, all that kind of stuff. So it seems like a good product. Uh my get one. My get one for the future. Just a nice to have a big old battery sitting around.
1: yeah you might you might be hearing about more about these giant batteries. I'm going to be testing a few. I got one in, Ooh. they're really interesting. I've never had one before. I was without power for a couple of days uh, a week or two ago, and I think Mike, uh, our editor, must have felt sorry for me. So this just showed up on my doorstep and is like, hey, you're reviewing this. I'm like, oh, great. And
0: uh, <laughs> there you go. yeah.
1: And uh, I won't go into details right now, but they're they're interesting and uh, definitely, going to be fun to play with and see what I can get out of these.
0: Yeah, one of the cool features I've seen is you can get like up to four solar panel arrays and connect Mm -hmm. all four at once to the Jackery and you could supposedly recharge it in six to eight hours just via solar power. So if you really were out camping or you were far out there with no power, but you had these like solar panel arrays, I mean, you could keep going. We could talk
1: about battery technology all day, uh, but because uh, <laughs> like, you know, my electrician experience, plus like just looking into this stuff, it's crazy. That's like true. the one I have, it apparently can fully charge solar power wise in three hours. Whoa. Yeah, And it, like when you plug it into a 120 outlet, um, it charges in like 58 minutes to 80% or something like that. Like, Like it's, so they're definitely going for speed over longevity because I think this one runs a refrigerator for like 16 hours. Hmm. I like seeing battery technology get better. And this is all with a bunch of outlets and USB adapters and all that stuff all on a device a little bit bigger than a car battery.
0: Yeah, that is pretty cool.
1: It still weighs less than a car battery because it's not lead acid. Thank (laughs)
0: God. Car batteries are very heavy. I actually changed my own car battery myself a couple weeks ago, man it's a pain in the neck to get in there. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of battery, let's talk about the iPhone 14 real quick because 14 plus launches officially and you can get it in a store starting Friday, October 7th, tomorrow, if you're listening early or today, if you're listening. Initial reviews that weren't really reviews, they were more like unboxings and just kind of rehashing iPhone 14 stuff. MKBHD, Justine, Joanna Stern had one for the Wall Street Journal. Basically, if you want an iPhone 14 with a bigger screen that has a bigger battery, but doesn't have the Pro features, there you go. That's the iPhone 14 Plus. It's the same screen size at 6.7 inch as the Pro Max. If you like the Pro Max size, or you know someone who likes that size, but doesn't care for Pro Motion or Dynamic Island or 48 megapixel camera, the 14 Plus is now an option. The battery does seem to be really good. During the keynote, Apple said the 14 Plus is the best iPhone battery ever. And people have been kind of calling out apple on that because if you go to apple's website it will say 26 hours of video playback for the 14 plus but 29 hours of video playback for the pro max and so if you look at their battery stipulations on how they rate it they it seems like the pro max has better battery life so it's an interesting comparison
1: i know why i think i know why there's a distinction here okay the pro max has variable refresh rate display so if the video is in 24 frames per second it can adjust Mm. so it plays back at a lower refresh rate so if you're watching a 24 or 30 frame per second video you're actually going to get some battery life savings in that alone whereas the other phone i believe is locked at 60 it does not have a variable refresh even for video funny thing but if you go to the audio uh section it's 100 hours versus like 95 or something like that Uh, right and it's (laughs) it's a difference in the display technology and it's whatever when you're getting to these absurd numbers like uh, mkbhd made the comments like yeah when you're just casually listening to five days of audio straight it's
0: (laughs) right exactly
1: you know who cares from what i've seen in these reviews because i did the roundup everyone's just saying they love having a phone that they don't have to stress over charging Every single day. And they can go yeah. a day, maybe maybe even two in some circumstances, depending on how heavily you use your phone. You know, I guarantee you, Steven, uh, if my fourteen year old uh, niece or nephew got a hold of this phone, they'd still kill it in about four oh, hours.
0: a hundred percent chance. Yeah. Uh but what's interesting, yeah, I think in normal use, if someone wants the best battery life from a new iPhone, the 14 Plus, I think will provide that. Just like normal use case, you'll probably have more battery at the end of the day using a 14 Plus than a 14 Pro Max. Also, I'm curious your experience, but with my 14 Pro, I have found the battery life to be pretty subpar. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about the battery life on the Pro models is not great. Even MKBHD said in his video, he really thinks that always on display is hurting battery life, which, How could it not i mean it is illuminating pixels that it otherwise would not have and so the last couple weeks i've had always on display enabled i did do all the focus modes that dim the wallpaper so it is a black screen with just the white widgets times and date and all that but just today i think i decided i'm gonna go always display off and see how the battery does because i I cannot make it through a day with the 14 pro like i inevitably have to charge it or put my magsafe battery pack on in the evening because it will die before it gets to the end.
1: Steven, I don't know if I need to write a book and just title it, Don't Think About It, but um, that's just my entire (sighs) philosophy for batteries. I haven't really run into issues. It's a bigger phone, bigger battery, but also I'm of the mindset again of don't think about it i have chargers everywhere if i'm sitting at the couch sitting at my desk in the car wherever i'm idling there is a charger nearby and my phone's probably going to be sitting on it if it's not in my hands it's just constantly being topped off all day i i, I never think about battery it's charged overnight it's on magsafe chargers usually and if we're out and about and i'm using the phone and the camera all day or something like that the magsafe battery packs in my pocket i'm just keeping it leveled uh should i have to do that maybe not maybe in the future it'll be nice where there's a multi-day battery in a phone but we live in a a reality where you're probably not going to get a full day out of a phone charge especially if you're actually using the thing for what it's designed for being on in your hands doing things but yeah i i haven't really seen these battery concerns i've saw i saw a few reviewers a few people bringing up like battery drain issues and, and fast drain i'm not so sure also one of the weird ones i'm still running betas i'm not on official releases oh, sure. even on my new hardware so i have no comparison to these people maybe there's a bug in 1603 that is causing this maybe there's just they have specific issues maybe um they just don't want to admit that they're on tiktok 16 hours a day i don't know but
0: <laughs> i mean i'm comparing it to the 13 pro i just used for a year and even at the end of its well the end of its life with me. And my battery health was at, whatever, 96% when I sent it back to Apple for a trade-in. I feel like I was getting more battery life out of it. And I get, like, I am at a desk a lot of times a day, and I could just keep it on a charger whenever I'm sitting here. But I just don't prefer to do that. Like, I I would, you know, I would rather not charge it constantly. And then there are days when... You know, I want to work outside on the patio or I have to run an errand. I charge it in the car sometimes. And when I do that, like you said, I don't have to think about battery life if I get some kind of midday charge. But I just think it's interesting that even compared to the 13 Pro, something feels off. And so I'm going to keep the always display on. Well, I'm going to keep the always display always on, on feature off <laughs> and we'll see how it does after that.
1: You got to turn on the always on display in the yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just obviously this is a feature that burns battery. And if it's something that you're not using or don't care for, or it physically causes you harm, turn it off. It's fine. Yeah, Uh, No one's going to get mad at you for buying an iPhone 14 pro and not using the always on display. I, I like the feature. I like having it on. I like having different little wallpapers poking out at me on the dimmer display, you know, like silly cat photos and stuff. Just they're, they're whimsical. It's fun. I like just seeing carrot weather cussing me about some weather report going on right now on my lock screen stuff like that's just a nice to have for me and uh, i'm willing to trade the battery life yeah um i'm definitely of the mindset of kind of just leaning into, I know a lot of Apple's, any technology company, it's hyperbole, it's uh, marketing. I'm just going to lean into it. It, it. Apple says that their phones are intelligently handling charging and that they have all day batteries and their batteries are going to last two years as long as you use them as expected. And Apple's expecting you to be charging your phone regularly, if not constantly, I'm just going to do it.
0: It is interesting though, to compare it to the Apple Watch Ultra, which the battery on the Ultra is Amazing. And I've been going routinely two days without charging. So I've routinely 48 hours. Right now, I didn't charge it last night. I haven't charged it in, I guess, maybe about 36 hours now. And it's at 54%. And it's great. The weird thing about the watch is I was in such a habit of just charging it period. Like when I get ready in the morning and charging it before I go to bed at night. And underscore David Smith, he actually had a lengthy video review, which I'll talk about it in a moment. But he was like, I was already in this habit of charging the Apple Watch in like set increments. And the extra battle life is really great, especially when you need it. If you're doing a lot of workouts or if you're going to be traveling, like really nice. But in the day-to-day routine, it's like, I kind of just feel like keeping the routine going and just charging it here and there. And then just knowing, a day is no issue for the Apple Watch Ultra.
1: Such a weird concept to me. I remember, okay, let's go back in time to when phones lasted about seven days before they needed to be plugged in. (laughs) I remember when the iPhone came out and people were like, it doesn't even last a day. You mean I have to charge it every day? How would I even remember to do that? People were angry, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that lasted all the way up to like 2013 when, you know, smartphones became more ubiquitous and people just got used to the idea. And then the same thing happened when a watch came out, you had to charge every day. Well, what I buy a watch and I wear it until it dies. I didn't realize that, you know, right. like there's another chore for me to do. I think we've just gotten to the point now. And again, this isn't going to change until the technology changes. As long as we're using rechargeable lithium ion, you're going to have to recharge these things at some increment, right? Yeah. And, Humans are very habitual, right? Uh, Everything's very much clockwork. So, charging can be very easy to get into a routine. Yeah. And now we're talking about a watch that breaks that routine it went from we have to charge it every day if not a little you know maybe bump it up every and twice a day right but now it's every few days and that breaks our brain a little bit because now the routine's broken well i already have this phone i have to charge every day but the watch doesn't have to get charged as often and now you're on this like <laughs> lopsided structure right yeah so when i last episode if you guys remember me ranting about this I, i'm doing it again Saying you just don't need that battery life again, unless you're without power.
0: I will say so, watching underscore David Smith, he's a developer, he makes Widget Smith, Watch Smith, he makes great apps. He is a hiker and runner, and so he took the Apple Watch Ultra on a trip to the Scottish Highlands. It's a great video. I will put a link in the show notes, but I mean, the short of it is he loves the Apple Watch Ultra, he loves the features. And again, if you're in a situation like that, where you're hiking, you're doing workouts that are literally lasting eight or nine hours long. He ran a hiking workout for like nine hours. And it's like, yeah, at that point, I think the Apple Watch Ultra went down to like 30% at the end of the day. Great to have a larger battery to do something like that, where with previous watches, especially the smaller ones, like the 41 millimeter or Apple Watch SE, like it's just not going to last for that. So in those use cases, yeah. that is why that extra battery really matters. And again, you can do cool things like that all day hikes.
1: When you fit into the niche of the watch, it's a great yeah. watch and it's a great feature. It's a must have. You have to have that extra battery. But for the aspirational buyers. It's not really a thing. And again, charging it every day is fine. Like until we get to the point we don't have to charge anything daily, where the MacBook, the iPad, the iPhone, the watch, all of it, that kind of routine, once that once that's possible, that's when we can start rethinking how our devices work into our routines. But as long as even one thing needs to be charged every day, I think multi-day battery life is less of a deal as we've made it out to be it's an aspirational goal it's something that we want and everyone cites and reviews but once we get it it's like do i really need this like am i going to be without power or without a charger for more than 24 hours at a time at any given moment for most people the answer is no
0: this episode is brought to you by Magic Lasso Ad Block. Do you want a better browsing experience in Safari on your iPhone, your iPad, and your Mac? Then download Magic Lasso Ad Block. It's an ad blocker designed for you. It's easy to set up, blocks YouTube ads, and even doubles the speed at which Safari loads. Magic Lasso is an efficient, high-performance, and free ad blocker. It's got over 4,000 five-star reviews. It's simply the best ad blocker for your devices. I've used Magic Lasso ad block for years, really long before they sponsored this episode. And it's my favorite ad blocker. It blocks all intrusive ads, trackers, annoyances, letting you experience a faster, cleaner, and more secure web browsing experience. And unlike some other ad blockers, Magic Lasso respects your privacy. This is important. It doesn't accept payment from advertisers. That's a big deal. You can trust that Magic Lasso is not selling your data to advertisers. So stop being followed by ads around the web, block all ad trackers, ensuring your browsing history is not harvested by ad networks. And the app now also blocks over 10 types of YouTube ads, including video ads, banner ads, search ads, and suggested product ads. So join over 200,000 users and download Magic Lasso Adblock for free from the App Store. And as a special offer for Apple Insider listeners, you can go to magiclasso.co slash appleinsider and receive one month free access to all the app's pro features, and you can see how good it is to use. That's magiclasso, L-A-S-S-O insider appleinsider to receive one month free pro access. And that link is in the show notes as well. Our thanks to Magic Lasso Adblock for their support of the Apple Insider podcast. I want to talk about iPhone cases uh, for a minute because I tweeted that I got a new silicone case for my 14 Pro. I got the succulent color, which it's not, I don't like saying that word, but that's the, that's the color name that it's Apple went with. It's a cactus. Like. I know, it's just a, it's a funny word. But anyway, I had a tweet. One, the color of the succulent case was actually difficult to capture. I had a bunch of people say, oh, you know, what's the link in the Apple store or whatever? And when I posted the screenshot of the succulent silicone case from the Apple store app, it looks much greener than the picture that I posted. And I was really trying to white balance because I did it on a white background. I was trying to get it like the right thing, but it doesn't look the same. So anyway, it's amazing how different a lot of these color cases and even the iPhones look in different lighting. So that's one point that's interesting. But I also saw a bunch of people were replying and tweeting about A, Apple cases are a ripoff or something, and then B, like they fall apart super quick. And so I I was curious, I actually have been using Apple's cases exclusively for the last maybe four or five years i typically get a leather case from apple and a silicone case for varying environments you know silicone for the beach or if i'm doing some kind of water by the pool stuff and then i like the feel of the leather case every other time and i like how patinas over a year and it looks kind of cool those are usually the two that i go with and i find that the cases are actually pretty good i have actually dropped my phone a couple times already One, I pushed it off a arm of a couch because I didn't realize. And then another time I dropped it off on my patio. And the silicone case actually does a great job protecting it, scratches. And the silicone case doesn't even have any visible marks or nicks either. But a bunch of people were saying the silicone cases from Apple like break in 30 or 60 days and they're totally worthless. It is more expensive than the $12 case you get on Amazon. But I also find that those cases don't feel great and are not as durable and they're not as good. So I was curious, Wes, when you get a case for your phone, if you get a case for your phone, what do you use? And do you have any experience with Apple's cases?
1: So years ago, I would buy cases just because I really enjoy the leather cases. They feel nice to the touch. But after, I don't know, the iPhone 7 or so I started just getting tired of having the phone feel thicker. Like I remember yeah. getting the iPhone 10 and just holding it and being like, this is just the perfect size and weight and shape and feel in my, I, and even just the thinnest case threw that off. So I gave up using cases mostly, uh, mm. just because eh, I just, I want to use the phone as it, as it felt in hand. And I was never really that bad about dropping the phone. And I, and I also never had Apple care. So I would just eat the cost if I had, if I ever broke anything and I never had to. So I got lucky when it comes to Apple cases and the people complaining, I don't know. I'd just take it with a grain of salt. I, the Apple cases I've used, even in the past, and I, I would assume they've gotten better at making them. They were great; like they were my favorite cases. I use Nomad as well because I just really like the way they use leather, and their leather cases are nice. Yeah, the Apple ones I never had any issue with, and I would assume the same people who say they break a case in a week are the same ones who break lightning cables because they rest it on their <laughs> chest while they're yes. laying down. Probably uh... the same person saying that, but I don't know. I I've historically found apple cases to be just fine my girlfriend's currently using an iphone clear case for her iphone 12 i think she has doing just fine and she drops and throws that thing across the room all the time so um she's just very clumsy for the 14 pro max things changed a little bit because i'm doing some more case stuff related like for the for work uh so I've, i've got a few on hand been playing around with them and I've really liked, I have this uh, Pitaka uh, Mag-Easy, whatever, uh, Aramid case that they make. Super thin, Hmm. lightweight, uh, durable case. And it has a great texture on it, snaps on with MagSafe. I don't know. I just really like this thing. It's a ver- It feels comfortable in the hand. It doesn't add really any bulk. It might as well be a skin. But somehow it protects the phone using those aramid fibers uh, as good as like a large rubber case. Mm. So I've okay. been enjoying that.
0: Okay. Well, listeners, I'm curious, reply to the, uh, you know, I tweet the episode out every Friday. Reply to that tweet with what case you use. Send us a picture. I know a lot of people love the Nomad cases. I mean, I don't know if still people use like LifeProof and OtterBox. I feel like, you know, people in certain maybe jobs or whatever, like those kind of cases. But
1: I will say this too: just me needing cases also took a change in my uh, life as well, because I just wasn't doing enough to require a case. Mm -hmm. Having a case is so nice for certain things because I didn't I kind of knew this, but I didn't really take it. I took it for granted. Having a case on your phone makes MagSafe accessories so much more grippy and yes. tight. Like it, they just grab hold of, yep. especially if it's a textured case, like the MagSafe wallet or the battery pack. But specifically, I like biking mm. and I have a, I'll have to sh- send you a picture of it. It is uh, the most dangerous looking mount for a phone on a <laughs> my bicycle handlebars <laughs> because it attaches, it's a MagSafe attachment. And these little rubber bands stick out the sides that you grab and wrap around the bottom right corner and the top left corner. So all that's holding the phone to your bicycle while you're riding is these little rubber bands and the MagSafe in the back. And the case makes it so much more secure, but it's hilarious because, yeah, when I hit a couple of the more aggressive bumps, yeah, the phone slings itself out of the MagSafe holder, but the rubber bands catch it and sling it back into the magnet. It's hilarious and my heart stops every time it happens, but uh, it's great. I love
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, I I do agree. MagSafe accessories, I think, are better with a case. And one of the other things, I do like top-down shots of devices for tutorial-style videos. And without a case, the iPhone 14 Pro wobbles so much because the camera bump is so big. Right. And so the case really helps it not do that at all. It's still not completely flat, but the case, because it's grippy, both silicone and leather... And the little lip around the camera maces like it just moves so much less, almost not at all. And so you need to stick you some paper under there or something, level it out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean and it's good enough just, you know, with the case. But without a case, no, it's like a seesaw. You can't do that. But
1: those like Like one of those furniture feet thing, you know, stick it to your desk and
0: put your phone on that. There you go. You got to level out that, uh, the chairs and the tables and all that. So also Joanna Stern, as soon as crash detection was announced at the iPhone 14 event, I was like, I know that Joanna Stern is going to do a video for the wall street journal, crashing a car. And sure enough, she has delivered. They went to, I think it was Ohio and they found like a, uh, demolition car driver who is literally like champion of demolition and crashing cars into each other. And so they got him to strap an iPhone 14 and a Google Pixel because the Pixel also has crash detection. They've had it apparently first. And also he was wearing an Apple Watch Ultra. They put all that in his car, which was like a Derby car. And then in two other cars, one was like a Ford i forget something and then a chrysler minivan and they put the iphone 14 pro max and another pixel in that car and then they crash the cars together and see what happened with crash detection some very interesting things happened with the derby driver in his car every time he crashed into another car and these were like junk cars they were already going to the junkyard there wasn't like good cars that were getting ruined his devices always registered the crash And so the SOS thing would come up and it would say calling emergency services in 10 seconds or cancel, and then they would cancel it. But the iPhone 14 and the Pixel in the other car though, that was not moving, no driver, no one in that car, never registered the crash detection. And so Joanna Stern contacted Apple and Google. And apparently there are some other factors in addition to all the high G-force sensor and all that kind of stuff that goes into crash detection. There are a couple of other factors. The phone looks for a Bluetooth connection to a car and uses that to infer that it actually is in a car and connected to a car that it also looks for motion prior to the accident. So if a car has not been in motion and the phone does not see via GPS that there's been movement like a car would, it would not register that it's been in a crash. Also, the windows were down in the cars that were being crashed or at least in one of the cars and so when the airbags went off the barometric pressure inside the car did not register as if it were a legitimate car accident because the pressure didn't change as drastically with the windows down and so all those factors together showed that like this crash detection is not going to go off at by accident i think that's pretty clear she even tried it in like bumper cars and that didn't (laughs) that didn't register at, at all either but there's way more, even aside from the high G4 sensor and the barometer, there's also movement from a car, whether it's connected to a car via Bluetooth, if it's been in motion and all that. So I thought that was really fascinating. And it's a it's a really good video. I'll put the link in show notes. So you could watch it.
1: Yeah. This whole thing has been wild. I think Luke uh, Miani, he also did some sort yep. of crash dummy t- uh, testing. I've seen people say that roller coasters, really intense ones might set off crash detection, which is really funny on the uh, Apple Watch. Did you see the maps going around? of people comparing the GPS tracking of the Ultra versus the
0: Series 8? I've seen a couple of those tracking. I mean, the Ultra is more precise.
1: Yeah. Like someone mowing their lawn, the series eight was like, you know, you were probably in the street somewhere and you know, right. like on the ultra, like it showed the lane pass exactly yeah. every time they turned around to, to turn the mower around. It was kind of wild.
0: Yeah. Definitely that the L1 and L5 is that additional GPS band on the Apple watch ultra. Yeah. Definitely more accurate uh, GPS, but I thought that was interesting for that crash detection in case anybody's, I guess, concerned or wondering, probably not going to go off by accident. Also iPadOS 16.1. This came out late last week. Didn't get to cover it. In last week's episode but apple is actually bringing stage manager to non-m1 ipads namely the 2018 ipad pro and newer if you have an older ipad air another base model ipad it's not like stage Manager is coming to all the ipads that will run 16 but if you have an ipad pro any face id model ipad pro 2018 and newer then you will be able to use stage manager on your iPad once 16.1 comes out. I imagine it'll probably be this month, but they actually removed the external display feature from stage manager in 16.1, which I know there were lots of you know YouTubers and people on Twitter like Christopher Lawley, he had been on the show recently, that the external display support was one of the greatest features of stage manager, but lots of people are reporting bugs that this software is not ready. Federico Vitici at MacStories, iPad first user, he was saying it's still very, very buggy. And so it seems like Apple is pulling back some feature like that external display support, but will be bringing stage manager to some non M1 iPads. So I guess it's good to see if you were wanted to use stage manager, but didn't want to buy a new iPad or what I see on Twitter and YouTube. It still feels like the stage manager feature still has a ways to go before it's like good.
1: If you're a nerd and you heard Apple announce that this was an M1 only feature in June, you probably already bought an M1 iPad by July. Um, So this is a little bit of a burn. I wish Apple would have done this sooner, especially considering the software is due to release any day. Like we could, we could have iPadOS 16.1 release like next Friday for all we know. It is not ready i'm using the beta right now and it's better But a lot of things are still kind of broken, weird things. uh, Like if you have a modal window and an app open up, you can't type in it right now, just period. And the app crashes. You have to completely force close it to use it again, and you still can't type in it. Weird stuff like that. So I can see why Apple's changing course a little bit. I am disappointed to see external display support get moved back a couple months, probably still by the end of the year, I would assume probably a 16.2 release. But still, that definitely needed work for whatever reason. The external display apps could not differentiate between light and dark mode settings. And that that mm. persisted throughout the entire beta cycle. Apps just wouldn't resize correctly. I feel like we're in a better spot now where just get it out, problems and all, let the developers start optimizing apps for window resizing and everything, putting menu bars in the correct places and having everything ready. Because once that's all optimized and display support comes out, it'll be a much better experience, I think. Update moving to other iPads that makes sense. The A12Z and the A12X they supported eight gigs and sixteen gigs of RAM. They also had higher storage options up to one terabyte. Uh, so it makes sense why um, Apple would be doing more here. We don't know if they're getting virtual memory swap, but at the very least they can cheat a little bit in the background and give yeah. Stage Manager more access to run four apps. So um, I I just I really hope we get to see a more stable version of this soon. I'm going to be doing the iPadOS. 16 review for apple insider yeah you'll get to see all my commentary on this but (laughs) having display support removed at such a late stage uh just definitely feels bad i feel sorry for anyone who's prepped for their review already
0: yeah also, iOS 16.1, as the betas have been coming out, there was a moment where it looked like the older model AirPods Pro, the first generation, was going to get the adaptive transparency feature. That is the new feature where even if you have transparency mode on on your AirPods Pro 2, that if there's some kind of construction noise or a jackhammer in the background, that adaptive transparency will try to limit that sound, whatever that construction noise or other sounds are, but still give you access to the outside world. It is not coming to the first generation AirPods Pro. That was like an error in the beta. And then in the next 16.1 beta, it was removed. So just to be clear, adaptive transparency, only gonna be on AirPods Pro 2. And I will say I've been using them more and more the last week or so since I got them on launch day. Really, really love AirPods Pro 2. They sound incredible. If you really want a super in-depth review, obviously watch Andrew O'Hara's review on the Apple Insider channel. And then Snazzy Labs runs by Quinn Nelson. He's self-proclaimed audiophile, but he really has some great knowledge about audio equipment and how things sound. And he has like a 20-something minute review of AirPods Pro 2 going super in-depth. And he really likes them. He didn't like the first generation AirPods Pro, but this generation, he feels that they are vastly improved. They sound great. And the noise cancellation is also very improved. So I'll put that link in show notes as well.
1: I wrote the review for AirPods Pro too for us. Nice, it, they're they're really good headphones. I like the adaptive transparency. Um, definitely noticeable when you're out and about. Like for example, my dad has a motorcycle and it dims that out pretty well uh, if you're nearby. Yeah, when he's running it, you might even hear it in the middle of this podcast. But because uh, he likes he likes revving it in the middle of the day. Um, yeah, uh, if you notice in in my review, I threw in another uh, happy. 10th anniversary to the lightning port and uh Mm -hmm. i i was sad because we're still trapped in johnny ives white room as far as colors go so that is true yeah a couple couple small complaints but overall Uh, amazing. And for the same price, like you can't beat it. Like if you are in the market at all for for earphones and you own an iPhone, this is it. Like there's no other option that even makes sense on the market.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that Quinn Nelson said, if you ever had noise cancellation make you feel like a little motion sick or that weird feeling of cancellation that you couldn't really deal with for a long time, that feeling is greatly reduced in the AirPods Pro 2. And I have felt it with other headphones that are noise canceling and it doesn't bother me enough to make me stop using noise canceling especially when there's lots of noise but i do find the airpods pro 2 it's much more comfortable in that noise canceling mode and so Last time I was at the Apple store, they had tons of AirPods Pro 2 available for sale. So you can try it. I mean, it is really good. The transparency and the noise canceling and overall sound for sure.
1: I'm really excited now to have AirPods Max with an H2 chip Mm. capable of doing these things because I think they'll be exceptional at it. Just one comment on that rumored adaptive transparency going backwards compatible. Didn't make any sense. Just some fun numbers here. Uh, I think the original H1 chip samples audio at 4,000 times per second uh, to, to perform transparency actions. The Mm. new chip is 48,000 times per second, a 12X increase. So yeah, that thing, it it would not have been the same.
0: I want to mention quickly, uh, Mike Worthley on the side did the Apple Watch SE Gen 2 review, the 2022 model. We've talked about it a couple times, but he really thought highly of it. It's the best value Apple Watch. Great for kids, especially in the family setup, which I had mentioned. The biggest trade-offs between the SE and like the Series 8 you don't get ECG or always on display. But if you're looking for a child that's not ready for an iPhone, but you wanna have like GPS access, cellular, be able to communicate with them. I did the Apple Watch SE for my son and it really worked well. Generation two is the way to go. It has that crash detection also. But I will say, if you are getting an Apple Watch for yourself and it's your first Apple Watch, I would recommend getting a model that hasn't always on display. Cause unlike the iPhone, which take it or leave it, I think on the Apple Watch, the always-on display makes a big difference. And so if you're getting your first Apple Watch model for yourself, get a Series 6 or 7. You know, if you need something that's a little less expensive than the Series 8, get the Series 8 if you can. I mean, that's a great watch. But I would go for a model with an always-on display that's a year or two older than doing the SE because you'll have a vastly different experience, I think, without that always-on. This episode is brought to you by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turn users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. Maybe even you've done that in the past, just knowing how restrictive some of those IT terms can be, and so you just use your own stuff. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk, they're your biggest allies, and your relationship with them should be based on transparency. And informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and giving them step by step instructions on how to resolve it themselves. So if someone saves some passwords in a plain text file on their desktop, well, that's not very secure. And so, Collide will send them a message in Slack saying, Hey, find a better place to save those passwords and it will be less of a security risk. So for it and security teams, collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac windows and Linux devices. And it can answer questions about your fleet security that traditional mobile device managers can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash apple insider to find out how, and if you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. Yes, free goodie bag with a free trial. That's Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E, dot com slash Apple Insider. Collide.com slash Apple Insider. Collide.com slash Apple Insider. And that link is also in the episode description. A thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. So the European Union, speaking of Lightning and USB-C, actually passed legislation that no later than the end of 2024, so two years from right now as we record, the iPhone must adopt USB-C for its port. And this is like European law. So if Apple wants to sell iPhones over there by the end of 2024, so I imagine that would be the iPhone, let's see, next year would be the 15, then the 16, the iPhone 16 would have to have USB-C. Now this doesn't guarantee that all iPhones will have USB-C. Even as we know this year, iPhones sold in the US do not have a SIM card slot, whereas iPhones in other countries do have a SIM card slot. iPhones in the UK don't have millimeter wave. iPhones here in the US does have it. I feel like this is a slightly different case. I don't imagine Apple making iPhones with USB-C for Europe and then lightning everywhere else. Absolutely not. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. So it could be (laughs) 2024. We finally get USB-C on the iPhone. What do you think?
1: I'm still hedging for a portless phone. There's reason to suspect that this is still... In the pipeline, it's hard to imagine Apple would go USB-C next year and then portless the year after. I would say within five years we could be portless, but USB C is certainly in our future. I think Apple was doing this even before this legislation passed. It just mm-hmm. it makes sense. Uh USB 2.0 speeds and a device that records 4k pro res video is absurd apple really needs to do this especially in pro devices and i would be uh, very surprised if we don't see uh, thunderbolt or usb 4 anyway mm. in the uh, iphone 4 uh, 15 so this is this is inevitable whatever happens it's the same port everywhere unlike the sim card slot or mmWave 5g that's the difference between swapping out like a metal part of a tr- of a tray or a like a specific s- style of cellular for for a mobile data plan. Right. This is an entire component and interface integrated with the chipset. They're not going to ship a lightning phone and a USB C phone. So don't even. Worry about that. That's not going to happen. I've seen some concern floating around Twitter. Just not going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, I'm 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 excited to see it. I'm not one of these people who've been begging for Lightning versus USB C because I don't really care. I don't use the port. I don't even know if I've ever plugged in my iPhone 14 to anything uh, since I've got it. Uh, it's just MagSafe all the way down. Yeah. So I'm I'm ready for the portless future. Uh, still very sad for anyone who records in 4K ProRes if uh, we go mm. portless. Um, but I I don't know. Apple needs to give us a solution for this especially if they plan to remove that port but at the very least give us a better port and I think USB-C is the answer to that
0: for sure speaking of MagSafe I thought this was just hilarious so I wanted to mention it apparently if you have a MagSafe puck from Apple meaning just the cable USB-C on one end MagSafe puck on the other there's a new firmware version for the MagSafe puck and you can go if you connect a MagSafe puck to your iPhone you can go to the settings app general about scroll down to carrier lock and then you will see an Apple MagSafe charger. You can tap it and see the firmware version. I would not have expected it to have firmware, but there are some smarts in there, like you mentioned before, smart charging and you know holding at 80% and all that kind of stuff. So the MagSafe puck has to think at some point, but I think it's hilarious. There's a firmware update. I also just want to take this moment to say I would love for Apple to give us options to force update firmware, even if it's not on the MagSafe puck. I know I've had listeners talk to me about like the Apple TV remotes and AirPods, and they like knowing they're on the latest firmware. I like knowing that too. Like I want to be on the latest software public released on all my devices and the latest firmware. But there is no way to manually update the firmware on an Apple TV remote, on AirPods, AirPods Max, and now also the MagSafe Puck, which I don't care as much for the MagSafe Puck, but I think all the other things. I would just love ways to manually update the firmware
1: i want to mention two things first of all it makes total sense why there'd be firmware oh yeah um in a magsafe puck because i mean if it's technology it has firmware it's running it there has to be a handshake between the iphone and the magsafe puck to negotiate charging speeds and maybe uh it has better negotiation parameters and a newer phone with more thermal capacity because guess mm. what the we've mentioned it before the iphone 14 pro has a dedicated layer for thermal management so uh better heat dissipation anyway um so So it could probably charge faster for longer. So Mm -hmm. why not update the charger from 2020 rather than forcing people to buy new ones. Anyway, I wanted to bring up another MagSafe thing. We haven't really talked about it in a while, but it just came out on the website as we speak. Funny enough. Mm -hmm. I wrote Mm -hmm. a little uh, thing about the MagSafe battery pack. It's been Mm -hmm. out for over a year, Right. just wanted to ask you, what do you think of the MagSafe battery pack? Have (laughs) you been using it?
0: Well, since the battery life on the 14 Pro and always on display has been a little sketchy for me, I've been using the MagSafe battery pack a lot lately, actually, and I have that one and I have the Anchor battery pack also, which I really like. Do you have the kickstand uh, Anchor one? It's the, yeah, the kickstand one, USB C on the bottom, little lights telling you the charge. I love all those features, but I don't want to carry that chunky thing around. It's thicker. Yes. And I find that it does not, longer. Right. And I find it does not hold onto the iPhone as well as the MagSafe battery pack. And so I will say, I I was not using it for most of the last year, but in the last couple months, also during the hurricane, I used it. And while moving, I used it because that was a time when I wasn't around a lot of chargers. I used Apple's MagSafe battery pack more often. And I have to say, I really like it. I think it is still... A little expensive at $99. Right. I think it would have been better at like $69, $79 at least, but I've been using it a lot and I love how thin it is. It gives me just the right amount of battery for my use case. If I need at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like a huge chunky thing on the back of my phone. It's secure on there. It's never slid off by accident. I actually think it's a better product than a lot of the initial reviews said.
1: So yeah, price wise, I agree. Uh, it should be a little lower, especially now that it's the technology's aged a little bit. Apple's probably making these a, dime a dozen you can find them in the mid 80s uh, on sales and mike found one open box for 50 dollars. so an open box on a magsafe battery pack i mean come on you're fine yeah. just go buy it yeah but yeah no this thing has been my favorite go-to i mean i have there's a difference between a battery pack and an external battery because the battery pack attaches to the phone the external battery's big hunking battery sitting in your bag you run a wire to your phone right mm-hmm. so i have that too it's just for this when i'm like out and about like on my review trip to Dollywood to write about the iPhone. I had my MagSafe battery pack with me to, uh, just in case never needed it. Cause that battery lasted all day, but just in case it slipped right into my sling bag, dip, took up literally no space. And I love this thing. Like, uh, take it on trips frequently. If someone else with me needs to update, needs to charge their phone, I can hand it to them because they all have MagSafe adaptable phones, slap it on their phone. Good to go. Um, just a real great product, but what makes it unique and different, and that I go into this in the uh, retrospective, is that even after a year, no one has come close to making the same size battery pack that is able to charge the phone as much as the MagSafe battery pack mm. and because mathematically when you look at this thing yeah it's small it has like 1400 milliamp hours which is like half of what the iPhone pro max has in it mm-hmm. but because it has a higher voltage rating it's able to charge like the pro max to 40% mm-hmm. whereas like your anchor battery with 5000 milliamp hours can only charge the iPhone up to about 50% mm. because the efficiencies in QI charging are so much lower I don't want to get into all the math and, and nonsense about I'm just saying like no one else has come close. Yes, Apple has a couple of tricks up its sleeve. MagSafe is on its side. It's more efficient. Other companies have to pay to get access to the MagSafe MagSafe tech. I haven't seen any officially licensed third-party MagSafe battery packs. So Hmm. even anchors, as small as it's gotten, is still larger length and width wise than the MagSafe battery pack. And one thing I would say is the best test for how good these things are is when you're holding the phone with the battery pack attached can your fingers still reach the volume buttons and the power (laughs) button as if you were holding the phone or are you just holding the battery pack because that is the true teller if it's good or not
0: yeah i would think you know before apple had to make a new battery case for every iPhone. And I know sometimes people who really wanted those cases had to wait months sometimes after an iPhone was released because different sizes just wouldn't fit the new phones. It was a spring release. And so I think this move to the MagSafe, just the whole ecosystem of MagSafe is a good move. But this MagSafe battery pack, now you can buy one like today and not worry that you're buying something that will be obsolete even in two or three years, like MagSafe is going to be around for a long time yep. and it will work on the iPhone 15, 16, probably years, you know, going into the future. And so until that battery pack just loses its ability to hold a charge, you'll be able to use that with whatever iPhone, with whatever case that supports MagSafe. And so I, I do think it is a a good product. Now that I've been using it more, I can attest, I I, I think it is, it's good.
1: It's a good stuff. This is the first battery pack I've been able to use for three generations of iPhones ever. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. So like that's, that's saying something. And so I, I just, the reason why, like the reason for the article and the reason why I bring it up is there was just a lot of, you know, controversy, I guess you could call it a lot of, uh, irritation people are like why did apple make this why is this a hundred dollars you know why does it have such a small capacity and nobody wanted to look past the spec page to see what this thing actually did and on paper it may look a little lousy but once you actually use it it surpasses anything out there even the capacity isn't a problem once you understand the difference between milliamp hours and potential voltage, which again, I go into in the thing. I wanted to ask, are there any upgrades that you would want? Like, would you want to see a 2.0? I only have two (laughs) real answers to this for me.
0: I mean, more capacity would be nice, but I don't want it to get bigger. So I I don't know if that's really a want. It's a possibility
1: though yes yeah, but it's, probably, it's probably, yeah they can use smaller more dense cells and make a same size pack for more capacity absolutely that
0: would be great colors would be nice to maybe match some of the other colors and just a little light indicator besides the one light like right now there's one light on the magsafe battery pack i believe it turns like orange to green when it's fully charged i would like a way to have multiple lights that tell you how much charge is in there and i know they wouldn't want to add a button so i understand you know asking for a button is too much but maybe some (laughs) this is probably also crazy but having some kind of like accelerometer in there where it knows like if you pick it up it just illuminates multiple lights to tell you what the charge is i think that would be cool but I also a U1 don't see that. Chip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, U1, a U1 chip for precision finding would be amazing also. But what are your two things? I
1: mean, if you lost it, I don't, I don't know if I've even come close to even misplacing this thing. Anyway, USB-C, just because sure. everything's going there. I don't want another thing that's stuck on lightning for another decade. Just Agreed. go ahead and move it along. Like you said, more colors. I actually, because it's so small, and I wouldn't do this with any other battery pack, but because this one's so small, I have a silicon skin on it, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. like a rubber, silicon thing it's like might be less than a millimeter thick so it just kind of slides on there and it's done but uh yeah turns it black so i don't have this bright white object on the back of my black phone sure. but yeah colors would be amazing USB C would be awesome uh more capacity but one major feature and i, I really hope apple does this make it charge also with MagSafe, you know, maybe, maybe the backside charge over MagSafe and the front side charges the phone. I don't know how they would do it. The magnets are reverse polarized, so you can't put it on a MagSafe charger. It wouldn't charge that way. It's not how magnets work, but I don't know. I just hate the idea of you can go all wireless out and about, except you need a right. cable to charge your MagSafe battery pack. So
0: it is true. Agreed. I would love that too, for sure. All right, I want to get to the Pixel 7. Just real quick. want to mention that the square app on iPhone now supports the tap to pay where you don't even need the little square, like rounded rec device to do Apple pay with a square you could literally just have the Square app on your iPhone and someone can pay you just by tapping their Apple Pay to your phone. And I actually got my haircut the other day and my barber, I actually had given him an old Square tap thing with NFC because he had like the headphone jack reader and he had to use the adapter and like it rarely worked, like it was a mess. And so I was like, i it was just sitting around my house. I said, here you go, just use this. And so he you know, had it on his little setup and it was fine, but it would usually take a second to connect and it was kind of laggy. But this last time I went, just a couple of days ago, I got out of the chair, he pulled out his Square app, put in the price and just said, hey, you can just tap my phone now. And so, I mean, this guy doesn't seem very tech oriented, but the tap to pay in the Square app was really compelling. It was super quick and you don't need another accessory to charge or even think about. And so yeah. it's a great feature. Yeah, this
1: is uh, definitely a step up from, I I know like Samsung was able to accept like MagStripe payments like 12 years ago. I think this is just a huge step up. Vertical integration of technology, easy to implement. I mean, all they had probably had to do was tell the 70 year old man in an email, hey, your phone does this now. And he just said, okay. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to see this taken in more places, but we'll see if it actually rolls out anywhere in Tennessee in the next decade
0: (laughs) right okay so google had its pixel event they officially announced the pixel 7 the 7 pro and the pixel watch the pixel watch i don't have a ton of thoughts about it's integrated with fitbit it does you know heart rate stuff it does the health stuff does notifications there's not a big third-party application story yet because this is a brand new product category for google there have been android wear watches in the past but google just didn't really talk about very many apps you know they really talked about the health features and the fitbit integration There are features reserved just for Fitbit premium subscriptions, which seems kind of meh, but that's the Pixel watch. It looks interesting. You know, it's a round watch instead of a rectangular shaped screen. So it does, I think, have a nice aesthetic appeal. It is much smaller. There's not like a big size. So the watch is interesting, but I just want to say the 7 Pro phone, they have their own tensor chip. The G2 chip is in this phone. There's some great photography seeming features in this, not only taking pictures which they have like a new 30x zoom with computational photography that still gets a 12 megapixel photo. Again, we'll have to see the tests and the initial reviews. It looks like it's gonna take great photos and video just right out of the phone, at least on the 7 Pro. So that looks awesome. But they also have features like Photo Unblur, where Google will go into your Google Photos library, find old photos that are blurry and didn't have high resolution, and will literally make them look better like look as though they increase the resolution. And so features like that using Google machine learning and AI and all that, very cool. There was the RCS dig. Google was like, RCS, it's the modern standard for texting and everyone should adopt it. It'll make it better. It'll make messaging better for everyone. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that. But the other thing I wanted to mention, the Pixel tablet, which is coming out next year in 2023 tablet you know android tablets that's a whole different story whether or not there's even apps that make them productive and worthwhile the ecosystem whatever but google announced the pixel tablet charging speaker stand and this is a stand that also has a built-in speaker so think of it as like a HomePod type device not a smart speaker so it's not like you're talking to it i don't think but you can literally place the pixel tablet on this stand charge it wirelessly so the tablet charges wirelessly. And then because it's a speaker, you can play music or watch videos and you have a nice speaker in the stand. And this is almost feels like that rumored Apple HomePod with screen device, but it's the best of both worlds because you could take the tablet around the house and use it as a tablet and then put it on the speaker stand. It charges while it's on the stand and you get better audio. So I thought it was a really cool idea. We'll remain to be seeing how good the audio actually is in the speaker, but it seemed genuinely innovative. And. I don't think that's something Apple would ever do. Maybe a third party could if there's MagSafe charging on the next iPad, which was a rumor recently. Pixel has some really nice looking stuff. I like their design aesthetic. I think their hardware looks good. I just, nobody buys this stuff. And so like it's one of, it's not a popular Android phone. And I think it's a shame because I think they do make great hardware.
1: So before I get into the event, I would say I, Apple's argument, and again, they change their mind constantly, but if they were to, if you were to ask an Apple PR person today, what they thought of that speaker stand, here's their answer. Uh, the iPad is already a great device that you can carry anywhere in your home. There are stands you can place it on anywhere in your home and uh, it airplays to any HomePod. So all you need sure. is a HomePod, a stand and an iPad. You can recreate the same experience and we give it all to you built into the system. Perfect. Like get the Idea of having the bespoke system. I I love the idea of attaching my iPad to a stand and having it automatically go into a photo slideshow mode with now playing music on the screen and having Siri like that's all great and I hope Apple does something like it in the future. Also, we're 90% of the way there with what we already have. Does Apple really need to alter their hardware to achieve this? Very simple use case that is questionable. Will people be doing this? I don't know. It looks good, and all we really need from Apple to, to achieve this in the future is just an always-on iPad that has a, or or maybe a iPad that recognizes when I'm connected to power, play slideshow, and have that as a toggle in settings. The end. Yeah. You know. But for the Google Pixel event, I know we don't have much time. I will I will run down my uh, hot takes you ready oh yeah go ahead <laughs> all right so first of all the event was awful uh it was the most boring <laughs> terribly done just awful i hated every yeah, minute. Yeah, sorry yeah. i i get this isn't apple fanboyism. it probably is i don't know but god it was just bad but moving on the <laughs> devices the pixel watch looks great especially when the display is turned off but as soon as anything is shown on the display you realize that you're looking through like a donut that you put on the car when your tire goes flat like that's how big the screen looks on this thing like it's fine if it has a all black watch face with you know imperceptible edges it looks great but as soon as you start using that ui the circle takes over and you can see one word on the screen at a time i don't understand why people like this it looks fine use it if you want. Great. <laughs> doesn't have any, doesn't have any real standout features. Sleep tracking. Cool. Measures your heart rate one time a second. Great. I will say I'll give them props on, on this. The mechanism for attaching watch bands looks interesting. Yeah. I like that it hides the lugs and it's just bands sticking out of the watch. Takes away some of the size factor uh, makes a, the watch a little smaller when you're wearing it. So good idea. Maybe Apple can do that when they finally update their lugs on a future apple watch model interesting just not that interesting of a product i hope the pixel people like it um (laughs) the pixel tablet already talked about the sand and stuff great still runs android terrible moving on um (laughs) (laughs) the uh, the phones cool Uh, they still have the bar in the back they i guess they really want to distinguish themselves using that it looks interesting i don't know that i would want and a giant bar on the back of my phone. The camera bump sure is still a large thing on the back of my phone, but it feels more discreet somehow. This thing is so loud. I don't know. It's just big. But anyway, uh, the thing I actually want to talk about, because Android aside, uh, Pixel aside, is the cameras. Coming from my personal standpoint, and you can see me talking about this on Twitter, I'm sure I'll send out 12 more tweets about it in the next day. It feels like there's a divergence here. And I don't know if you can agree with this, but Apple is pushing really hard on we take the best natural photos this is what that moment looked like this is the exact lighting we're making sure it reproduces that moment exactly in a way that you're still in control of so if you want more s- saturation if you want more warmth or texture or whatever use photographic styles or shoot and raw but yeah no matter what the goal is to create the most natural realistic photo Google in the past few years has been really leaning heavily into uh, algorithmic machine learning processes in photos. A couple of years ago, they kind of had this ad campaign of let Google do it, right? Of we can do it better than you. Just sit back, relax, we'll take over. And now they've really leaned heavily into this, especially in photography. You're bad at photography. Okay. You're really bad at it. So buy a pixel phone and we'll just take care of it for you. No yes. more shaky shots. Uh, we're gonna right. algorithmically process out any photo shake, which is cool. Again, I'm not knocking like the algorithmic process. Apple uses right. plenty of them in their photography. It's what they're achieving, right? So when I go into edit a photo that's been shaky, sure, I would appreciate a mode that automatically detects it and maybe finds a way to meet in the middle and make it look less blurry. I like that effect. But then they went. Uh, the the google step further of and we will go back in time and find every photo you've ever taken and tell (laughs) you that it's a shaky image and we're going to re re-edit it and we're going to remove people from the background of your photo from uh 2007 and i'm just like i get the appeal of having aesthetic, beautiful photos, but that's yeah. also not that memory.
0: That's not real. That's not sure. what it looked like. I, I get it. No, those are good thoughts. And when the actual reviews come out for the Pixel camera, I, let's talk about it again because I think it'll be interesting to see the quality. But for sure. Listeners, let us know if you thought about the MagSafe battery pack, Pixel 7, or anything. That we talked about today, you can tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can support the show, get an ad-free version and early access at patreon.com slash appleinsider or directly in Apple Podcasts. And thanks for all those five-star reviews as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.